everybody knew I wanted surgery. A select few knew about the plastics pathway. Um, but no, from the beginning, I mean, I was in the surgery club. What does it take to get into the residency of your dreams when it seems like all the odds are stacked against you? My name is John Arshadi, and I want to welcome you to the Road to Residency podcast. This is the show where we break down inspiring personal journeys of passionate physicians who had the courage and the commitment to take purposeful action to achieve their goals and serve their communities. Hello, champions, and welcome to yet another episode of the Road to Residency podcast. My name is John Arshadi, and today I'm here with Dr. Danielle Ward, author of the blog, Aspiring Minority Doctor, and also her new book, Atypical Pre-Med, A Non-Traditional Student's Guide to Applying to Med School. Dr. Ward defied all odds, starting out as a minority female and single mom with a GPA of 2.2 to matching into the highly coveted specialty of plastic surgery this year. And I'm not sure who's more excited, me hearing her story again or her telling it. Just trust me, it's phenomenal. Danielle, welcome to the show and congratulations once again on such an amazing achievement. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Excited to be here. You're welcome. I'm excited to have you. So let's dive a little bit into your story. It's very interesting. Let's backtrack to when you were a single mom in undergrad and start from there. What happened? Okay. So I went to Louisiana State University, go Tigers for undergrad. Um, I had my daughter my sophomore year of college while I was there. So um, life got a lot interesting. I was a started off as a chemistry major ended up taking the wrong physics, so switched to biochemistry, and then um, going into college, I already had a college GPA, um, just because after high school, I grew up military, so by the time I made it to my final state for high school, I had enough credits to graduate, but they wouldn't let me, so I actually started at Kennesaw State University and then started college with that, but um, yeah, it was an interesting journey. Um, worked a few jobs. I mean, my GPA took a hit just because, you know, I was a mom. I was working multiple jobs. Right. I was student worker, coffee barista. I did everything. Um, but it was a great experience to be there. Good. And uh, yeah, what was how was that transition from there into uh, your master's and then into medical school? So I graduated in 2009. I was very proud to graduate with my class. Um, that was one thing I started in 2005. I was like, I don't care that I've had a kid. I will finish on time. Um, and then after that, like I had applied to medical school while I was in college, um, didn't get accepted. It took me five years, three application cycles before I eventually got accepted. But following graduation, I was lucky enough to get a job as a research associate um, in parasitology and immunology. We were working on vaccine for neglected tropical disease. And that was a five-year grant, so it gave me enough time to do research, but still continue to apply to medical school. And then in that time, I was able to get into a master's degree. It was online biochemistry through University of St. Joseph um, in West Hartford, Connecticut. And that allowed me to continue my research, continue making money, and get the degree in the meantime. So there were a lot of things I was always juggling yeah. there. And I love that. I respect that because, you know, you did so much, you know, having to take care of a child as well. I have a son myself and I just, I don't know how to manage my time. So I commend you for that. And you don't have a choice. It, it gets a lot easier to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about uh, medical school. You chose to do DO, right? Yes. I am a proud doctor of osteopathic medicine. Um, for me, 
I didn't really care about the initials after my name. So I applied to both MD and DO schools. I got one interview, one acceptance that was at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, Georgia campus. And, you know, they made me the doctor I am today, but medical school is a great experience. So for me, like, cause I grew up military. So I've moved everywhere. I never had the common, I was in four different states for high school. Um, well, three different states, but four different schools. And so when I got to medical school, that was the first time I had a group of people who I was going to be with for four years, like learning together. So that was my first time having that experience. But starting, I mean, it's an adjustment for anyone. Um, looking back now, I always say it's not that the material is hard. It's how much they throw at you is the adjustment of trying to handle that. Um, for me, I was a little bit unique because in addition to studying and trying to handle all that, I also had to go home and still be a mom and figure out, okay, how do I study? How do I spend time with my child? So yeah, the first year was a little rough, um, but made it through. <laughs> <laughs> and during your studies, did you ever face any of the stigma between DO and MD? Explain to me a little bit about um, that. So I think there's, I think as a pre-med, there's more of a stigma than once you're in it. I've noticed like a lot of people, um, cause I'd be on like, you know, websites where they're like, oh, Dio, what's that? You know, but it's all pre-medical side. Once you're in medical school, no one cares, especially when I was on my rotations. I remember, I think I was on a surgery rotation and my preceptor who was an MD, he was just like, I don't understand like, what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and to be honest with people, I mean, in medical school, the only difference is we have more training in that we get the osteopathic manipulative therapy. So you're with your classmates half naked doing manipulations, you're right. studying for that. Um, and that differs. And then, you know, me having traveled around as a medical student, because I was um, national president of the Student National Medical Association, I saw the difference in that, you know, the MD students had more time to study for boards per se, whereas with our extra training, we had to incorporate that. Um, but really, outside of the approach, we're all the same. You know, we're a physician um, at the end of the day. So Absolutely. there's not much stigma <laughs> once you're in there. But I know coming in, people are like, what's a DO? That's, you know. Right. Um, and it, you know, it was that's fairly new. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think in the in the match process, when when they when they combined everything together, do you think it became easier or harder for DOs to get into residency? Because I know before they had their own special programs as well. So we did. Um, and as someone who, you know, didn't match the first time uh, or the first couple of times. So the first time I went through the match was before the merger happened. Um, I don't know if it necessarily hurt us because what people don't understand is DOs have been applying to MD program residency programs for decades. Um, we've never been shut out of those programs. So, you know, if you look at some MD programs, you'll always see a DO. It's just when the merger happened, it made it easy for us. MDs couldn't come into our programs, but we could always go into theirs. That's now, right. you know, they could come into ours. It makes things a little bit more competitive. Right. Um, but I don't think it hurt us so much when it happened. I mean, we were already applying anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's what I was asking. I mean, with more MDs coming into the DO programs, if there was like extra competition, maybe it will. Uh, uh, but I guess it worked out for everybody, right? Yeah, I mean, I know some programs, um, they would like, you know, for the MDs coming in to have some of the OMM training. I mean, it's program specific. Others, you know, just focus on scores. So it makes it harder if, you know, you have the stellar, the Harvard grads with the 270, whatever um, um, board scores. But like I said, DOs have always been taking both USMLE Comlex. We've been applying at both residencies. It's 
basically more work as a DO, but for the same outcome. For sure. And did you know from the very beginning that you wanted to go into surgery and specifically plastic yes. surgery? Yes. So um, the thing with plastic surgery is early on, my mentors were like, you know, don't mention it. Um, and a lot of them came from the traditional pathway of general surgery to plastics. And they said they faced a lot of flashback from directors who, you know, they might have had residents who left the program, the general surgery to go to plastics. So they were just like, you know, be quiet, don't say anything. So everybody knew I wanted surgery. A select few knew about the plastics pathway. Um, but no, from the beginning, I mean, I was in the surgery clubs. I was national liaison. Like I, you know, I was involved. So right. first year yeah. I had my surgery shirt on, they knew it. <laughs> nice. And so you graduated in 2018, right? Yeah. So walk us through what happened from 2018 to now 2021. I know you do, uh, uh, you applied for match a couple of times and unfortunately didn't make it. Yes. Tell us that story. So 2018, um, so I applied. That was as a graduating um, senior medical student. Did not match, but that was before the merger happened. So um, now that there's a merger, when people don't match, they go through the SOAP process where you submit applications and you wait for them to contact you. Pre-merger, there was a DO scramble where if you didn't match, you spent the day calling every single program that had a spot in the country, interviewing on the phone. Um, so, you know, I just remember how devastating that was. I remember being on the phone with programs and they were offering me, they were like, well, why not consider our internal medicine program? And I was like, I don't want that. Some were like, you know, you need to sign this contract within one hour. Um, but where I ended up signing a contract for a traditional rotating internship was what my main campus of my institution, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in Pennsylvania, um, because they were just like, you know what, take a couple days, figure it out. And I really respected that. And I told them, hey, I want surgery. I can only do this if you're going to give me at least nine to 10 months of straight surgery. And they were willing to do that. So, um, so 2018, I ended up matching into a TRI in general surgery. So I moved to Pennsylvania. I did a year of basically surgery. Um, 2019 comes, did not match again <laughs> after applying. Um, so that was devastating, but um, I was I always have a backup plan on how to get to my goals. So, you know, by December of intern year, I knew, hey, I need to take my boards now. I need to, you know, plan to get my license. So I already had that plan that I was going to get my full license. And then when I didn't match, I was like, okay, I'm going to go into urgent care. So move back to Georgia. And that's what I've been doing right. <laughs> for almost two years. But I reapplied this year, um, having the funds to really apply. And it was successful. Yeah. Excellent. Well, congratulations once again. That's, that's <laughs> Thank awesome. You. So I know you told me that you used to be the head of a national organization and you were heavily involved in your medical school. How did it feel after not being able to match those first couple of attempts? How did you cope with that? And what did you tell people? Yeah, I think that was the hardest part for me uh, is because I was so visible. I mean, what people don't understand is, you know, I was national president of the Student National Medical Association. I was the first osteopathic medical student to ever be national president of that. I was, um, I got like student doctor of the year from my school. I got the highest medal offered to any student from my school. So it wasn't like I was a bad student. You know, I passed my boards. I honored my rotations. Like, it, you know, so 
not matching when it happened to me. And then especially being a blogger, being active on social media, you know, people were like, what happened? And it's just like, I don't know. So, um, I mean, and it happens. I mean, there are more medical students graduating and applying to residency programs than there are slots. And so, you know, people talk about a shortage of physicians. That's not the issue. It's, you know, we're just not getting into these slots. So people are going to go unmatched. And I think it's important for people to realize that this is a true possibility of, you know, you might not match, but how are you going to make it happen in the end? Right. And what did you learn over the multiple attempts? What did you make better? Was there anything where you thought to yourself, oh, I wish I knew this the first time around? Um, well, you know, reflecting back this year, um, and I recently wrote on a blog, the biggest change I made was applying to as many programs as possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not something I could have done as a medical student or as a broke intern. It's just now, you know, I'm making attending money. Um, but the process isn't, isn't geared towards people who don't have a lot um, of money to apply, unfortunately. And I don't know a way around that. They don't tell you coming in how much the cost of everything, medical school related, boards, um, interviews, Mm -hmm. pre-COVID, traveling for interviews, paying for your hotels. Um, So the biggest change this year was actually just saying, you know what, I'm applying everywhere, but not everybody has that option, unfortunately. And I wish we could change the system, but yeah. Right now, I don't know how. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wish we could change the system too. That's something that I'm I'm trying to work on. Uh, not by myself, but you know, one man okay. can't change anything. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but it's unfortunate. You have all these bright people; they're ready to go into the work field, and mm-hmm. then they can't, and it's devastating. To like, I was fortunate that I got you know an intern position, but there are people who don't get that, and right. then as a physician who can't get a license, like that's like, what do you do? And so. And I think medicine is the only profession in the U.S. and and anywhere. Well, actually, abroad, we don't have this problem. But in the U.S., medicine is the only profession where you could devote like half of your life towards something. And still every year, you know, there's a pool of 14,000 people that are left unmatched. And so what do they do? Right. Uh, So we got to think of ways uh, as a community to, you know, get those people into their profession. And it's not like you could go to a like a regular job because you're overqualified. Yeah, Yeah, that's the dilemma that that we're put in. You know, for those of us who are unmatched, it's like you're underqualified to do your job, but overqualified to do anything else. So you're stuck in a limbo and it's the worst place to be. Yeah. So (sighs) one day I'll find a way to make a change. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do it together. How's that? (laughs) good. (laughs) Good. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you've been doing with your blog and your book, because it's a huge inspiration um, for a lot of people. So the name of your blog is Aspiring Minority Doctor. And when did you start that and how did you come up with the idea? So I started that in December of 2013. I had just been accepted into medical school um, that November. I was looking around, you know, I wanted to find single mothers who have made it through medical school, people who might've had lower stats, um, because from the beginning, people were saying, you'll never make it through medical school as a single mom with your GPA, you'll never pass your boards. Um, You know, there's always been people telling me what I can't do. And so I couldn't find that. And then as a DO, I was like, are there any like DOs? And I was just like looking around and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start a blog, be that example. I did start highlighting, you know, minority women in osteopathic medicine. I found a few. So those were on the blog, but 
basically it's just been sharing my journey as a single mother going through medical school, you know, then through residency, then, you know, beyond in the process. Um, so I share my highlights, I share my low points, um, but you get it all just so people Excellent. know that, you know, there's someone out there. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. We all need somebody out there. Good. And so that blog inspired your new book. Yes. Oh, wait, actually, I have it. You have it? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can see it, but atypical pre-med. Yes. Um, and it was because, um, so, you know, as a pre-medical student, I didn't have a lot of guidance. Um, and so a lot of my blog were people asking me questions about how do I do this? What extracurriculars do I need? You know, um, how do I get my GPA up? So a lot of my blog, I converted into a book just because I was getting tired of all the emails when I'm just like, it's on my blog. Right. So now it's in one area for pre-medical students. So it's not as hard for them as it was for me. You know, a little guidance. Absolutely. That's great. And where can they pick this up? Any bookstore? Yes, it's available at any major book retailer, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. Um, everyone pretty much has it. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So for those of you who might have not heard it the first time around, Atypical Pre-Med, A Non-Traditional Student's Guide to Medical School. Applying uh, to medical school. Uh, to applying to medical school. Excuse me. So, yeah, go check out that book. You know, if you have a child or you are somebody who is applying for medical school, definitely check that book out. And it's not just for, you know, people with it. I, I know I say non-traditional, but basically it could apply to anyone. I've had people who were career changers from attorney to medical school or military, even men. So right. um, it benefits a lot of people. Absolutely. Glad to hear it. So what is some of the advice that you could give our listeners who are in the same position where, you know, they might be a single mom or a mother that has multiple children, um, very busy throughout the day working, uh, still needs to, you know, get through her board exams or men in the same situation for that matter. What advice do you give them for time management? I mean, your network and support system is going to be everything. Um, that's what people don't realize. I know when I started medical school, you know, I was coming in, single mother, had no family <laughs> nearby, um, but my classmates were great. Um, that's one thing, I mean, they would babysit for me so I could go to lab. So just not being afraid to ask for help if you need it. When it comes to, you know, time management, I think it's easier as for parents to navigate the medical school system as that because you don't have a choice. Like, you know, you still have to spend time with your child. You still have to study, um, but it's harder for people who might not have any responsibilities. They, you know, come home. It's like, I've been in class all day. I just want to chill and watch Netflix, you know? So um, really it's just developing your study habits. Um, that should be key for anyone. Um, and then really focusing and figuring out like, how do I make time to do everything I want to do, but still have a little fun because you don't want to get burnt out. Like that's the hardest part of medical school is focus, 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 and not making any time for fun. So people neglect that a lot. For sure. I don't know if that helped. Yeah, <laughs> no, it does. And so um, what would you recommend for people who are taking the boards? What materials would they use or how would they go about studying to make the most effective use of their time? So don't get bogged down with study materials. That's mm -hmm. Key. Um, I know going in, people will hit you with so many resources. I remember they were like, BRS, you need this. I had so many books that first time around. And really, all I needed was like UWorld and Pathoma. You know, yeah. it was just, <laughs> you know keep it simple. Right. Um, and, you know, everyone's going to have suggestions or advice of what works for them. Know your learning style. Know what helps you. You know, some people, they might be able to sit in class all day and absorb all that. Whereas, like, I'm a person who I have to do questions 
that's how I get stuff in. So figure out your learning style and keep it simple. Don't use every single resource on the planet because you'll just overwhelm yourself. For sure. One of the most important things, because this is for road to residency. Um, I know a lot of students like to focus on those first two years. You're like, you know, how do I get like straight A's or depending on the school system. But I think the most important thing people need to realize are your rotations are going to be number one. And boards, even though I know USMLE is now being pass fail, they're just going to focus on step two. Um, so right. keeping that in mind for students. <laughs> yeah, great. And if there was one piece of advice, just like one, one thing that comes to mind for students, what would it be? Enjoy the ride. Take it one day at a time. This journey is so incredible. Um, like medical school, those were some of the best years of my life. So I, I know everybody's focused on studying. They want to get into the residency they want, but really take time to enjoy it and have fun because that those moments won't come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, Danielle, would it be okay if people got in touch with you if they had any questions or concerns? Yes, I'm always accessible. My email is aspiringminoritydoctor at gmail.com. Um, my blog is aspiringminoritydoctor.com. And then my handles on Instagram and Twitter are minoritydoctor. So easy to remember. I respond to emails, just give me time. Yeah, and we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, so if you didn't catch it, we, you can just go to the show notes and reach out to her. If you have any other questions, you can reach out to me as well. Any of our guests, um, you know, we're all more than willing to help. I think one of the biggest problems is people don't realize that there's a community of us who are willing to help and who are willing to mentor and get you to your goal. One of the purposes of this podcast is to tell people that, you know, we are here for you just reach out to us and, and we'll be able to help you out. Yes. And that's the key part is reaching out. Um, a lot of people expect mentors to reach out to them. You really got to, you know, be on them because we're busy. Sure. Um, <laughs> so don't be afraid to badger. Yeah. I'm okay with that on my end. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Danielle, thanks a lot for your story, for your input, for being on the show. It was great to have you. I hope to bring you back uh, again sometime uh, just to see how things are going and maybe you have some more advice for us. Maybe next time as a board certified class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Do you have any future plans after residency already or are you just going to kind of go through it? I'm trying to keep an open mind. I know I do want to go into academic plastic surgery, but I also want to have like my own practice. Um, so, but I'm keeping it open. Six years is a long time. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'll kind of develop more of my passions as I go. through. Excellent. Well, it was a pleasure having you and um, I hope to see you yeah. again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends and get this message out there. Because this is a time where a lot of people are skeptical and they're saying, I'm an older grad, I'm an IMG, I have trouble with the USMLEs, there's no way I can compete, what do I do? Well, we want to show you that there is hope. Actually, right now is the best time to match as an IMG. You know, our match rates have gone up from 48% in 2010 when I graduated medical school to 61% in the 2020 match. That's a significant jump. And as a matter of fact, more than 25% of the U.S. healthcare system is made up of international grads. So know that you can do it. You will do it. Just don't give up. And I hope to see you in the next episode.